CFR Network, CFR News, continuing that legendary Texas series. And I brought some, some, some new blood in this thing. And I'm also going behind the scenes. I ain't got an artist with me. I've got a, um, I would say based upon his talents, a legendary producer, 12 G's on the beat. San Antonio's own. Welcome to the broadcast. What's happening? Yo, yo, yo what's up, noble man? Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. You're most welcome, man. You're most welcome. Um, you're putting in some serious work, man. You are putting in some serious work in regards to this, this production. Um, me, I didn't know nothing about you until maybe, what, a year ago? And I was hearing these tracks and I was thinking, who, <laughs> who's doing this? This sounds very familiar. This sounds, this, you know, you, you're, you're encompassing a lot of the, the, the classic sounds, which um, I was brought up listening to some, you know, to this Texas music, whether it's H, whether it's that D, whether it's San Antonio, Waco, yeah. you know. Um, so honors, man. Thank you very much for your, your your diligent work, and I'm looking forward to some some more projects, some more heat coming. You know, all day. Hell yeah, man. I appreciate you. Definitely, definitely. So, before we get into your story, zombie apocalypse. You know the you know the drill. Zombie apocalypse 2020, growing year of 2021. How have you how have you managed to navigate yourself through that, sir? As far as pandemic, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just fucking doing what I've been doing beforehand, man. I'm, I'm one of the type of people that, uh, you know, I, when the pandemic started, you know, I hit the ground running. It's no different than my normal life. My normal life is pretty much being in a pandemic. I'm always at home, you know, uh, homebody family type. So I'm always chilling here. It hasn't really been much difference at all. Uh, like I was telling you beforehand, before we started recording, I, you know, the biggest impact for me, man, I, I can't even go to a damn movie. So, <laughs> you know, that, that's been a, a little different. I didn't, like I told you, I didn't realize how much I wanted to go to a damn movie, but yes, hey, we, we've been having, uh, you know, plenty of time to get caught up on shit on Netflix and, and whatever else here. So mm -hmm. yeah, we'll make the best of it. Most definitely. Hey, one question, which I, I it totally left my mind, actually. Don't, aren't drive through theaters a thing in america anymore oh yeah we actually um san antonio had a really popular drive-in called the mission drive-in that uh i believe that they they had closed down for after many years since way back in the day but i believe some investor came back and spruced it up and reopened it but i don't know if it's open now but they do have one real close by in a little town called new Braunfels, right up highway 35 and uh you know, that is an option, too. I know they're in business. I know a lot of people have turned to that because they don't have to, you know, breathe air with other people. Yes. They just sit in their car, turn on their little radio, and they're good. Mm, that might be the that might be the option, you know, 12. Uh, that, right. you know. It's, it's, and also, you're going to be in the comfort of your own vehicle, you know, in that luxury, trustfully. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> taking the old movie, I know it's obviously a different sort of format and you know, different kind of ambiance and sorts, but you know, yeah. you're still gonna kind of be with other people, you got that big massive screen and things, so yeah. you know, that's still there. I mean, in England, in, in, in rainy ass England, we had way back in the early thousands, we had like um, uh, a pop up 
if we can call it that. Yeah, a pop-up theater that, that we did outdoor one. And I loved it. I was like, when is it coming back? You know, um, I think there was talks about doing it again, I think last year or maybe the year before. But we need like a permanent fixture. I think, especially with what's going on with the social distancing and stuff, I'm surprised yeah. nobody, you know, no investors or nobody with money at least have thought to themselves, let's do an, let's bring this shit back. Right. You know, let's just utilize some some space, a, f- a field maybe, or some brown fields, etc. Put that stuff up, advertise, and let's get this shit popping, man. Let's get some money in. Let's get people out and about as well, rather than being, you know, stuck in the house and all that. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, maybe because yeah, maybe because I've spoken this into existence, right. someone actually will come with this. Yeah, this whole shit's forced some people to get kind of creative if they want to stay afloat. So. Mm. You know, one of the main things here in, in, in Texas that people have had to adjust to on the fly is like, you know, when they were doing the, you know, 50% capacity at the restaurants and shit, um, or at the bars, I should say, you know, all these bars have had to rebrand as bar and grill. Yes, just to be able to keep their door open. So, you know, now your your, your neighborhood, uh, you know, watering hole has to offer food. So <laughs> it's been pretty cool for me. I mean, one less trip that I got to make on the way home, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear that. And yeah. you know, in Texas, they do that shit big as well. So you yeah. know, um, but that it, it's it's gonna be moving forward. Um, I think, as you say, the, the creativity and people being forced to do those sorts of things trustfully is complementing their business and it's bringing another dynamic to the business as well. Yeah, exactly. Because obviously, just alcohol alone, you know, when the, the old liquor and the spirits get into some people, they get disagreeable as hell. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's shit. That's where I get my. That's when I get my creativity. Shit. Yes, when that liquor starting to flow. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, a few beers and uh, you know, smoke a couple cones and yeah, and I'm ready to make some beats. Definite man, that 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 um, that inspiration, that getting you in that that mind state where you can create. Some people, as you don't know, are the total opposite, and they like to be totally in a clear space of mind for them to be able to create. It's uh, different boats for different folks. Yeah, man, I haven't made a sober beat probably my entire life, so I, <laughs> more power to those people, man. I don't, I don't know how they do it. I just can't hear it right unless I, mm. you know, gotta. Been- you're in that zone. Yeah, exactly. Get in that zone. <laughs> I hear it. I listen, when I used to the first time um I started to smoke weed, I listened to South South Circles and first album or first and only album on Swarth House. And when I listened to it high, it was a total different experience i was hearing different sounds i was before i was quite visual in regards to artists you know being able to paint that vivid picture and stuff but i was in a dark room i could just see the equalizer going up and i was just on another planet man oh yeah man i'm sure that was probably in the beginning of your smoker's journey right exactly exactly yeah, man. it don't hit me like that no more that i'm i, re- I know exactly what you're talking about man but um uh, Nowadays, it's more just kind of like, I don't know, just mellow me out and just it's yeah. more of a, you know, a body type fucking feeling, just relax and um, 
I don't know, man. Caffeine and weed, that's where it's at. That's my creative fucking go-to. Ah, so the two or three cups in the morning. Yeah, Coffee. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's what I do. Definitely. Okay, okay. So let, let's jump Let's jump straight into this DeLorean thing, man. And let's, let's go back before there was a 12 Gs on the beat. Um, San Antonio is your home. That's where you was born and raised, I take it? Yes, sir. San Antonio, my home. Okay. So let, let, let's go back to, let's go back to your teenage years. Um, what, what were we, let's go school first. Let's go school first. What we, what we, what were we doing at school? What was your favorite subjects and all that kind of stuff? Oh man. Shit. I, I didn't do shit in school, man. I, I was fucking up, you know, my whole fucking school from probably about sixth grade on, I just fucking started fucking up. Um, you know, in Texas, they have a, it's like the don't, um, nobody left behind rule. So basically, if you fail one time, they'll fail you, you'll repeat the grade. But at that point, they will not fail you again. So no matter what your grades are, they're going to push you through. Okay. So, you know, I got pushed through basically since my fucking second year of sixth grade. So, you know, I was over here just trying to fucking what I thought fit in and, and, yeah. and try to try to look, uh, Try to look like uh, less of a target for what I thought were bullies and shit. Because before I went to that school, it was a pretty rough school. Anson Jones, shout out Anson Jones, Pin Road. Um, my teacher had gave me a little warning. It was like, you know, if you don't get your shit together, when you go to this school, you're going to get beat up. So shit, I, you know, I was always a smaller guy. I didn't fucking, you know, um, sprout up until I was like 16, had a late, late growth spurt. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little guy here going to this big ass school or so I thought at that time. And you know, I was just trying to lay low and, and, and just try to blend in. So for me, mm -hmm. blending in was just fucking up. So if I'm one of the fuck ups, well, they won't want to fuck me up. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that was my shit. And, you know, you know, I'm 38 years old now and I look back at that and, and uh, you know, it just sounds stupid for me to be coaching my my son. But, hey, you know, you, you know, your goal with your kids is to make sure that, you know, they're better than you. And I can already say my kids, you know are already on track to be better than me so it's a win there perfect you, you've utilized the experience that you've had and you said look we ain't gonna let that happen to the little ones yeah exactly so you know i you know the thing is looking back at it as far as my school the main thing with me you know looking at how my parents were with me you know they took my word for it and the thing is you should trust your kids as far as you can throw them you know yes. it's not very far so, you know, my mom, you know, I'd get back home and my mom's like, you know, where, where's your homework? Oh, my homework's done. You know, okay. You know, she's not going to check. So, you know, do I want to sit in here and do homework for something that I don't feel is important? Mm -hmm. Or do I want to go outside and run around with the kids and get in trouble and play football and do whatever else we were doing back then? But, uh, you know, I, I made the mistake every time. So, you know, with my kids, I, I'm all, I'm all up in it and, you know, engage with them. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't expect what I don't inspect. So, you know, yes. if I ask a question and they tell me something's done, well, I'm going to check now because I'm not going to let them follow my path. Mm, I like it. I like it. Creating, creating, because ultimately your, your children are the future. You know what I mean? And if you, you don't invest the time in them now and, you know, put them, at least give them a strong foundation to be able to navigate through this, crazy interesting and wonderful world that we live in yes, um sir. you're almost setting them up for a fail 
you know. Yeah, man. I, I think with today's fucking society, it's more important than ever to be involved in your kid's life, man, because we've got to break this generational cycle right now. Like everything is just so fucked up and, you know, progressively getting worse and worse and worse. I think, you know, being a parent is the most important job that I have. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that's how I look at things. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm really family oriented and, um, you know, I'm really engaged and involved with my kids and just trying to make sure that they're they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, and I'll add on to that as well. It's a tremendous responsibility to shape and mold a new life into, you know, a young child, well, for, to a child, young child, to a young adult, you know, adolescent, et cetera, et cetera. That is yeah. a massive responsibility. Hell yeah, man. So salute, man. Salute. You do, you're doing it. This is what I love to hear people actually, you know, raising children rather than dragging up children. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Foundation, that's where it all starts, man. So so at that time, we but well, did anything outside of that dynamic, was there any interesting subjects for you at that point? Did anything kind of oh, grab yeah, you? Man. Yeah, see, you know, the thing is, like, this whole music shit, man, this is kind of just, like, the evolution of, of, you know, where it all started. Like, I'm an artist, period. I'm not just a musician. I'm an artist. You can give me fucking pen and paper. You can give me fucking a slab of clay. Mm-hmm. You could give me anything. And I'm just art- artistically inclined. I'm going to be able to do something with it. So, like, you know, my my journey as an artist began with drawing. I used to draw cartoons. I used to draw comic books. Um, my uncle, he was a published comic book artist. And, you know, when I grew up, I just looked at him and I wanted to do everything like he did. So with him being so heavily involved with, with comic books and shit, you know, that was my first love. I used to sit there and draw my own comic books. Um, but as I got older, it kind of you know, we would be in high school and shit, drawing characters of our friends and stuff, clowning each other, roasting each other with (laughs) drawings and shit. Um, But I don't know, man, like over the years, I got a little bit older and, and it just kind of, I just lost my interest a little bit on, on the drawing side of the art. And um, I don't know, maybe from about 12 years old to about 17, there was a break where like, I really didn't pursue any art. And um, I don't know what the fuck I was doing at that time. I don't know, man. Like, I, I believe that was around the time where wrestling really hit its uh, Whoa. hit its peak. So I, I did spend a lot of my time back then just taking in as much fucking uh, NWO and, and Degeneration X and Stone Cold and all that shit that I could. <laughs> okay. So that did take up a lot of my time, but uh, probably about 17 is where I rediscovered this uh, art the passion for art but it was in a different form I uh I ended up taking a chance on uh I was at a GameStop and um I had store credit there I had just traded in some shit and there was really you know I didn't even have anything that I wanted at GameStop but I just wanted to go spend money so mm-hmm. I'm sitting there trying to figure out how to blow this store credit and uh for whatever reason you know call it fate I don't know but I was browsing through the used games and I saw this double disc sitting there in the shelf and I decided to pull it out. And uh, I, that was pretty much the birth of 12 G's. Uh, you know, it was it was the MTV music generator for PlayStation one. Uh, so it was basically a, a digital audio workstation mm-hmm. on a PlayStation. 
So it had, you know, it had a sequencer and it had all kinds of samples and shit and all kinds of effects. And, and it was, it's really a fully featured tool, mm -hmm. but on a PlayStation game. So, you know, at that time I had my PlayStation hooked up to a little home audio receiver and I had like a speaker box with some 12s mm. rigged up and shit. So man, like I, I sat down and started playing with some of the, you know, kick drums and bass and some of some of the loops that they already had on there. And and that's when I, I instantly fell in love, dude. Yeah. And, you know, I discovered that I have, a, you know, a passion for, for music now. And I was about, I don't know, 17 years old. It was like Okay. 1990s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, of course, I mean, we, back then when we were young, we were always outside. It was, you know, we're playing a lot of basketball, playing football, just, you know, fucking up, getting into mischief and shit. But, uh, you know, you had
for me, when it comes to rap, I believe my my first tape that I purchased and and <laughs> my mom is funny. You know, I, I know I wouldn't have allowed this if I was to go back and switch <laughs> roles. But uh, my first product or first tape, I should say, that I bought was fucking Cypress Hill Black Sunday. Oh shit! I remember that. Yeah, so, yes. So yeah, man, that was the first tape that I picked up. Um, so I started listening to Black Sunday. You know, the whole fucking tape is about getting high. Yeah. I didn't really even know that. I mean, I knew what weed was and shit. I, you know, the family. I, I would come to my family's house and you could smell it in the air. I never caught anybody smoking, but I knew it's up. I they would leave the bong out and shit. I knew. <laughs> but um, when it came to the terminology. You know, I'm listening to Black Sunday and, you know, I want to get high. So I knew that much. But, you know, some of the other shit, I I, I listen to it today and I'm like, so this is what that meant. But, yes. Yeah, man. I started with the Black Sunday and uh, I believe that was probably about 1991, 92, maybe 93. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But right around that time is when Dr. Dre hit big and the crowd was in fourth grade. And I swear, man, like everybody was jamming that chronic. And mm. I had my fucking White Sox hat. <laughs> I went out and bought a fucking White Sox hat. I wanted to be like Dre shit. Um, Snoop Dogg, you know, he, he had uh, a hungry young Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg was spitting fucking fire. The beats Blaze. were fire. So, yes. you know, once the Dr. Dre shit hit and the G-Funk era took over, man, like that really that just kind of took things over for me. Everything I listened to at that point was like a lot, a lot of West coast shit, you know, whatever was popular back then West coast wise. Yes. Ice cube leafly injection came out around the same kind of time, 93. Um, yeah. And it wasn't his best work. I will say um, in comparison to what he's done before, but it was still a good album. You could see his growth in regards to the production and the content, yeah. the subject matter as well. Yeah, he uh, yeah with, with Ice Cube, I never owned any of his CDs. Mind you, I was a little bit younger at that time, so I wasn't really purchasing music at that time. You know, I would for Christmases or birthdays or shit or some shit like that. Like, you know, a family member might buy me a gift card to a CD store or something. So then it was far and few when I could actually go and choose my music. But I always had friends at school and we were into tape trading. So I knew what was out because, you know, the, me and my friends are talking about this shit on the playground and everything. Um, so if I couldn't get it myself, well, let's, let's trade. So I would get people to dub me tapes and shit. I had like a dub doggy style and, oh, shit, you know, yeah. some other shit too. But, you know, we had to do what we had to do back then to get our hands on music because it ain't like today just fucking do a quick search and start streaming it in two seconds exactly this is the i'm glad you brought that point up because it, yeah. you had to i mean my saturdays were filled with going taking a, a 20 minute to 25 minute ride into the city center of birmingham and going to a, a, a famous infamous record store called tempest records and i'd be spending flipping probably about $200 a, a week uh, on, on maybe what four or five CDs at the most. Cause it shit was you, expensive, man. man. I hear you, man. Uh, over here in San Antonio, we got a local spot um, music connection, shout out music connection. I I'm pretty sure they're still there in this, you know, this shopping center has seen its best days probably 30 years ago, but out of all these fucking stores that have closed down, there's been one constant, and that's Music Connection, man. So, one, <coughs> excuse me, 
so when I was a kid, this, this store was within, within walking distance and not only was it close, but it was the plug for DJs and people who loved underground rap. I'm talking about back in the day. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with murder dog magazine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So murder dog magazine, you know, everybody here's this, uh, are reading the source and shit. And, and I've always been the type that's like, I don't want this mainstream shit. Some of I it's want, cool, but yeah. I want to know, I want to know who's out there. I want to know who's really putting it down real shit. Yeah. So, you know, I couldn't get that murder dog anywhere besides the store. So I'd go there every Every week, you know, I do my chores around around the house. My dad would throw me some money and I'd walk over there and I was going to get if there was a new murder dog, I was getting that. And whatever was in the in the front of the store, they had all the new release shit and it was all underground stuff, man. So, you know, when uh, No Limit was on top, when three six was on top cash yes. money, like um, shit, e even Dope House Records, you oh, know, at that time. SPM. Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah, you know, the screwed up click shit, all that stuff. They had it right there in the front of the store when you walked in and, and, you know, it was all the, the real shit. I mean, all these artists would, that was one of their stops that they had to make at this store. So I was lucky to have a real music shop so close to the house. And, you know, that, that was where I spent all my money, dude. And I hear you about, you know, I, there's another store, urban city here in San Antonio. Um, urban city. I've heard of that one. Yeah. I've heard of that. So Juan uh, opened up that store. Juan is the one who also, uh, the, you know, CEO of Third Degree. He's the one that put that together. Indeed. But he, he had his little, it was like a hip hop clothing shop and it had music and that was the plug too. So that was probably, you know, maybe three or four years later when they came around for me. Um, but man, once I discovered Urban City, man, it was like, get my paycheck, pay my bills that I had to pay and whatever else was left, I'm gonna go fucking buy a whole bunch of shit at Urban City, man, whatever mixtapes and shit that he had, I was, I was scooping it up. <laughs> I remember those days very well, man, very well. Yeah, man. As you Good say, Murder Dog, Murder Dog Magazine. Hell yeah. That shit was dope. Yep, yeah, cause they covered the artists that you know, nobody wanted to, no, nobody wanted to talk about in the source. I mean, you'd be lucky in the source if it was a, you know, if you'd make it to the unsigned, unsigned hype part of the magazine. Um, and I'd find myself looking at the unsigned hype, like taking notes, like, okay, well, let me check this guy out. Cause at that time I was like a connoisseur of just new music. Yes. You know, I, I've never really been big in collecting shit, but one thing that I did collect I know you probably had it, the, the, you know, the big CD tower and you could stack up like 80 CDs in that yeah. shit. And, yeah. you know, I used to be a real big on like the, you know, when you open up the disc and you got the little booklet inside, yes. there, you know, I used to love when the artists would spend a little bit more or, or their label would spend a little bit more and do that. Right. Because I'd be sitting there jamming my shit, listen, uh, listening to my music, reading about you know, the credits on the song and trying Jeez. to figure out who, who these names are and shit, or sometimes they'd even put the lyrics and, you know, yes. they don't do that stuff anymore, but, but yeah, right. man, I, I used it, to love my music collection back then. It gave you an opportunity to see, okay, that that's the producer on here. Oh, that's what that sound comes from. That's where that sound comes from. Or yeah, exactly. oh, that artist, you know, so exactly. that it was key. The key thing, as I said, you know, go to Tempest, I'd get purchase, do my purchase, I'd get on the bus, and then 
I'd start opening them things up and I'm going through the inlays and I'm seeing exactly who, who the features are, who produced what track, what recording studio it was done, you know, and then most importantly, as JT, the bigger figure, uh, yeah. made famous and then Master P made infamous, the up and coming albums. Who's coming next? Like, you know, who, who's uh -huh. this? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yo. And then yeah. along along with we cannot forget a, an integral part of this period which you're talking about now um pen and pixel and funky fat graphics oh man yep i'm a big fan of the pen and pixel shit uh you know i i know you you follow my ig shit but once in a while i'll put out because you know i do the cover art too mm -hmm. and once in a while like if an artist wants it i'm like all right i'm gonna wreck this shit because <laughs> you know that's one of my favorite types of art to create. And one of the things that separates me from some of the other artists that do it is like the attention to detail. And it's like when you're when you're cutting and pasting, you know, these different sources together to make an image, the main thing that's going to separate you from the pack is to make the shit look real. I yes. mean, it's got to it's got to look like the guys there. And, you know, because I because I'm an artist, and I have that, you know, that 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 eye for it, every little thing that I see that doesn't fit within the space, just it, it, it it's an eyesore to me. Mm -hmm. So stuff like shadows not matching up and shit like that, it all goes, it's small details, but when it all comes together, that pen and pixel graphics, you know, we all know that you're not there. We all know you're not standing on them, <laughs> you know, sitting on top of a Maybach or whatever, but does it look believable Yes, in a sense? And yes. that's what I'm shooting for. So yeah, I love that shit. And when they do it right, you know, Cash Money had all that stuff. Um, no Limit, man. Some of these iconic covers, and uh, which is yeah, art man, I, in I, itself, as you as you're highlighting now. It's that is that is art in itself. And you know what? As a youngster, <laughs> I said when I get my, my 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 house, I just want a room just dedicated and just have these shits up in in, in framed pictures. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was just about to say that, man. Like if if somebody and I say somebody, I'm the fucking art guy. I should be the one coming up with the damn idea. <laughs> but um, I'm sure I'd have to pay some good royalties to get that official. But you know, I, I want a big ass poster with all these covers. Like take take the take the album covers of my generation, my childhood, and put them all together because there were so many good ones. Definitely. And it, it, for me, I mean, luckily it didn't happen so much, but you know, a lot of the times, especially as you say, searching for new artists. So, you know, when I, when I, when I stumbled across Texas, literally anything that came out of Texas, I was, I was copying, you know what I mean? So yeah. like you'd, you'd see the cover and you'd be like, shit, okay, we got funky fat here, or, or is this a pen and pixel or, or are they trying a thing? And I'm yeah. buying it literally off the album cover. And then yeah, maybe- exactly. 2% of them, 2% of, of, of the inventory is garbage. <laughs> but the majority of it, you know, they had a dope cover and they had dope, dope, dope music to go with it. Yeah, exactly. You know, back in the day, I mean, without the internet, the fucking cover art was 90% of it. And if you had dope cover art and maybe a little bit of promo, like if I see your cover art in a magazine or whatever, mm -hmm. chances are I'm going to go buy your shit. And, and back then I could just remember most of the time I'd end up buying it and maybe two or three songs, you know, would be dope as shit. But then the rest were just kind of like, ah. mm -hmm. but um, it was, it, it was part of the fun. I thought back then, cause you know, 
I'm over here. I'm still a kid, man. I'm running off allowance at this point. And it's like, I can only choose one. So I got to get this shit right. <laughs> <laughs> so Definitely. that's where like, you know, doing my research came in, you know, like I told you, I'm, I'm over here reading murder dog and shit, looking at these, you know, up and coming artists from, you know, diff different cities in the South. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after I read enough about them, you know, you got to finally, you know, take the chance on it and go buy it. And, you know, at this little record store I was telling you about, they weren't exactly cheap either because they knew that they had shit you couldn't get anywhere else. So, yes. you know, a CD for us, USD was, I don't know, like $18, $19, man. And what you see, 12, that's the same kind of prices that we were paying in sterling <laughs> which yeah. is amazing because a lot of the times when I speak when I speak to you know to the um to the, the American partners, they were all telling me, oh, it's like ten dollars. And even when I used when I used to go to New York and stuff, um this shit was stupid cheap. I I bought um Mr. Mike Wicked Ways. They didn't have it on CD, so I had to buy it on tape. I bought that shit for like seven dollars or something. And it was from a music store or just from the back of a van or something? Oh, no, no, no. This is a proper music store. I think I went oh. to some goodies and some goodies didn't have a thing, didn't have nothing in there. It was just all East Coast stuff. I think yeah. I went to is it Camelot, Camelot, Camelot music. Well, it, it was it was kind of like a HMV to me because they had DVD. Well, it wasn't DVDs. They had like you're, you're talking about a, a Camelot music store here in the States. Yes. So um, it was a, a franchise Camelot because Camelot music, I had that here too in San Antonio and that was my shit. Like Camelot yeah. was where I was going to get, because because back in the day, like, I don't, like uh, you know, Walmart's really big here. Mm -hmm. You know, Walmart as big as it is, wasn't always around though. Because way back in the day, we had Target. Target, Target. Was, our, was our store. But then Walmart started taking some of the market share and started kind of you know, pushing some of these target stores out because people were switching over and going to Walmart. But if you were trying to buy music, you go to Walmart and you'd get that watered down bullshit, uh, <laughs> edited crap. And uh, everybody knew like when we were kids, like, oh, you got that shit from Walmart. We used to, you know, make fun of each other because they didn't have no cuss words. But um, yeah, you had to go to Target back in the day. And, and the thing is with Target, if you I believe when Target finally realized selling explicit music was going to be a good look, I believe that was when Master P dropped Ghetto Dope because oh. I bought Ghetto Dope from Target for $9.99. Barking. Explicit lyrics. And, and um, I remember seeing this. I'm sitting here looking at this case and I'm like, damn, this is fucking tight. He has an orange case. Orange case. Yeah. And it wasn't like your yeah. usual CDs as well. Yeah, man. It was like a plastic case. Yes. It was different than the normal jewel case. And, yep. you know, I'm looking at this collage of artwork and he's got like, you know, I got a dude here with a crack pipe. Crack pipe. And, you know, yeah. He's, he's got a, he's got a bitch laying on top of him here. <laughs> So I'm like, hmm, I'm like probably like 12 or 13 years old. And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to take a shot on this. Because uh, mind you, at that time, I had barely came off uh, True to the Game. Ooh, I got, I, I, went and I picked up True to the Game, double disc. And I had went to Blockbuster Video, RIP, I fucking love Blockbuster. Oh, but, man, um, I went and rented, I'm about it. So at this point, I'm like taking in, this is where I'm, you know, I wasn't new to No Limit because Ice Cream Man had been out maybe like two years before and I was in seventh grade jamming Ice Cream Man. Um, but I never really purchased No Limit music yet. I just knew who they were at this point. Master P was who we talked about on the streets. And um, 
So I went and I bought True to the Game because they came out with I Always Feel Like and I had a video and I just remember the first time I saw that video, I was like, fuck, this song is hard. It is and, crazy yeah, hard. I 12. still love that song to this day. I just remade it the other day and put it on my IG. But um, yeah, like when the video came out, I, you know, I knew music was sampled and shit and I knew stuff like interpolation and stuff because like I told you, I used to read the credits and stuff. Yes. But I, I didn't realize... Um, that that was going to be an old song. You're going to like this guy. He's all right. Fire me.